Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Masala PTI. This is Arvind. I have uh, my friend and co-host Ravi with me. We are uh, here mostly to talk about a few interesting events this week. Uh, Ravi, how, how excited were you to uh, finally have a draft uh, going? Something, some, uh, a little bit of normalcy, I guess, in a sports uh, fan's life. Yeah, uh, you know, talk about the times we are living in, Arvind, and before that, uh, hello everyone, but uh, uh, Arvind, think about the times we are living in where uh, like um, 32 different teams and uh, 100-odd people that represent those teams along with uh, uh, five times that many people who are expecting to join those teams are sitting in their respective houses uh, uh, wearing kind of uh, outside clothing and sitting on their couches, and that qualifies as a live sporting event in the times that we are living in. So think yeah. about that. Absolutely, yeah, it's weird times. But at the same time, um, I thought the show went on flawlessly, though. I'm sure it's a huge uh, difference for the kids themselves. I wish they had the opportunity to dress up and show up and uh, you know hug the commissioner or whatever. But as a fan, I felt like we didn't lose much. What did you think? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. I think um, it did still have the same excitement. In fact, to some extent, I felt that because everyone felt so constrained, uh, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the viewers, uh, it felt like everyone was on the same plane, uh, same level. So there were like, for example, my son and a few of his friends had a live FaceTime draft party and their level of excitement slash, you know, depression around specific picks was no different from that of what we were watching on screen. So it wasn't as if you either had to be live. I mean, if if you were live at the draft uh, room or the venue, it was an enhanced level of excitement. I think it was almost like the level of excitement felt democratized across whoever was watching it. And uh, there seemed to be no lag, no latency. I think it went on pretty well. Yes, I kudos to ESPN. I I, I was uh, a little bit concerned how they're going to pull this off. Uh, they did a bank of job actually. I think absolutely. They, they probably violated some social distancing rules here and there. They literally seem to have set this up across hundred homes, maybe because they kept saying sixty uh, players. I think they had covered for this, uh, and plus the GMs and coaches, and I don't even know how many homes they went into. I think some of it was probably the uh, IT department of the teams themselves, but I think ESPN probably had to go to the players' uh, homes and things like that. But overall, I think they pulled it off. Um, As for the draft itself, uh, I felt like the first part obviously went uh, according to plan, at least uh, the first three picks. what was your first surprise? 
so I was, uh, you know, kind of surprised by the fact that the guy that the Cardinals chose, um, Isaiah Simmons, was available for them to choose. And I promise you that this has absolutely no bias speaking. Uh, obviously, we'll come to it in a minute, which is uh, how thrilled both you and I were about the Cardinals pick. But I was just stunned that he was available at eight. Uh, so to me, it was uh, less about uh, who the teams picked prior to prior to that, but the fact that he fell through uh, until yeah. pick eight. Right. As a, as a Cardinals fan, I think both of us were excited, you more so than me. But I think the first surprise really is kind of related to that for me in the sense that they had uh, the Giants, right? The Giants picked the guy they did. And I felt like that kind of opened up Andrew Thomas, the tackle from Georgia. Yes. Uh, I think even as a tackle, he was probably not the first guy in a lot of uh, uh, draft boards. But I think that kind of opened up stuff. Uh, and before the uh, cards pick, I was kind of happy that two or five actually went to Miami. Uh, I know there are a lot of injury concerns, but that fell, uh, that went according to plan as well. So the one real curveball was the Giants at four, and that seemed to have thrown things off enough, Ravi, that uh, Cardinals ended up with this guy, who is universally people seem to think that was uh, just a huge win for the Cardinals. Yeah, in fact, uh, to be even more specific, uh, in reading through a half a dozen to almost close to 10 uh, post-draft grades, mm -hmm. uh, grading reports, the only one that really puzzled me was CBS, and they were the quickest, uh, quickest to report it. <laughs> but uh, they seem to have uh, rated the cards at a B plus, or no, not even a B plus, I think a B minus or a B, something like that. Uh, for Isaiah Simmons, and their one qualm was the fact that he doesn't have a position, uh, mm. which is which is obviously the same as saying Scottie Pippen didn't have a position when he played. Right. Uh, you, you know, you, you don't need or Draymond Green doesn't have one right now. So to me, it is a you know, it is a it was a slam dunk as close to a slam dunk of a draft that the Cards have had. And again, now they've had a couple of good ones. So hopefully, all of that translates to performances on the field. Right. But but if you combine that with uh, their offseason, getting DeAndre Hopkins and just the general development of uh, Kyler Murray, I think it's going to be a step up for them uh, one way or the other. I think um, you may have to put them with the Niners for the West crown, actually. Completely. Yeah, completely agree. In fact, on that... Uh, uh, you know, some of it was just uh, random bravado right after they picked Simmons. But to me, it was even more hardening to see and to further uh, uh, feel very confident about the cards doing well in their division was to see what Seattle did. And I was not, you know, obviously, uh, I will confess not being uh, an expert on draft and, you know, rookie, rookie skill sets and talents and whatever, uh, you know, teams look at but to me that was a head scratcher the fact that Seattle uh, picked the guy they did uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know on defense so to me I mean yeah looking looking further ahead to the season I think the Niners will be uh, you know uh, will be will be who they have been in the last uh, year or year and a half uh, but I think the cards probably might this might be the second best team in the NFC West yeah let's hope so I think um, would be 
if maybe this was CBS point too, that the one knock could be that they didn't improve uh, the offensive line, maybe, which is the most glaring weakness. Uh, but at the same time, the cards have, you know, many more picks to go to uh, fortify that, I believe. Do, do you, looking at last year, do you think, what was their biggest need though? Was it offensive line? Yeah, they did need uh, their two biggest needs. Actually, there are three big. There are three needs that were clearly identified by experts across the country. One, obviously, the number one need obviously was the offensive line and the fact that they needed to shore up the security for Kyler, and that still remains an open, you know, question mark. But yeah. I thought as much or slightly less than that from a mission criticality standpoint was to get that inside second level defensive uh, presence uh, you know obviously the hassan reddick uh, experiment uh, we can kind of uh, uh, turn turn it off safely now uh, but that pick and whatever they tried to do with some stop gap measures since then haven't proved to be successful so they needed some kind of a uh, game changer uh, at the second level so i think that uh, you can't have gotten a better pick than what they did and obviously the third missing link for them uh, was the you know was obviously a the uncertainty around whether Fitz would come back and b even if he were to come back you, you can't have Christian Kirk as a number one wide receiver for a good team uh, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, uh, he could be a co number one along with another equally talented receiver but let's all you know humbly admit that Fitz is no longer who he was. Uh, and in that regard, I think the Cards had already won the offseason with with their uh, DeAndre Hopkins uh, trade earlier this year. Right, I would agree. I, I if I were to rank, I would have also put the offensive line first. But overall, I think uh, they they did well here. And then speaking of the Niners, they, I think they did okay too. They basically, I'm always fascinated when teams can actually trade down just one spot. Uh, I always want to be in the war room and see how that conversation even goes between the teams because, you know, there is a, there is a what do you call a, a, a implicit contradiction there, right? So if you like somebody so much, you will take him. But if you're dropping down one spot, you kind of don't like him. So if I was Tampa Bay, should I call, a bluff, call you a bluff and see? if you even actually take the guy I want. I always wonder, uh, my brain at least works that way though. So I always, when, pe- when teams drop one spot, I'm like, how exactly are they negotiating this? So obviously they dropped down one spot and they took the defensive tackle, Javon Kinlaw, to replace uh, uh, the guy they traded away, right? Buckner, right, yeah. Buckner. And then they traded up later and got the uh, receiver, Brandon Ayak, who is, by the way, Ravi, for you and me, ASU guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, which was also interesting because I, I guess they were scared that Green Bay would jump in front of him and take him or something like that because Packers, everybody thought was going to take a receiver and then we'll come to that. But I think Niners uh, did well, they kind of seem to have gone after uh, positional needs and who they liked at those positions rather than just taking whoever was the best talent or whatever. And, you know, John Lynch, speaking of trading down one spot, he did this already once. And then he shot the GM career. He's done it twice. Of course, the first time, uh, it didn't work out great with his picks uh, because he, I think that's when he picked Solomon Thomas, another tackle with 
who has not panned out but I, but definitely he uh, you know traded with chicago to get some good picks and he did that again here so what did you think of the niners uh, moves in this and maneuvers in this uh, draft Uh, and again with the disclaimer that i don't know much about uh, individual players or rather i don't know equally well about all the individual players that were uh, expected to be picked in the first round i must say that i was happier about or i was more impressed by the niners second first round pick which is brandon ayuk uh, mm. compared to uh, the first guy kinlaw and again it is probably because of the fact that i don't know the kinlaw that much or know of him that much but ayuk in fact was someone and again this shows my naivete in terms of uh, the nfl draft process i had been try watching a lot of the sun devil games this past off season for whatever reason mm-hmm. and every game he used to stand out with a couple of amazing plays and for a team which was kind of uh, mediocre to slightly best than, better than mediocre and i was foolishly assuming that you cannot have an arizona state wide receiver kind of make a national spotlight so hopefully this guy just falls off the radar a little bit and given and i'm talking about prior to the whole deandre hopkins and all of that thing happening i was assuming that if he falls off the radar and if he's available for cheap on the street the cards might want to just pick him up i did not recognize that uh, you know obviously he was considered one of the top 5 wide receivers coming in uh and the fact that the niners got him and did it in a very again the niners you're right lynch has been fantastic i mean he replaced uh, buckner with a cheaper option who might be equally good and he re- potentially is replacing sanders with uh, uh, a better uh 2 to 5 year prospect uh in in brandon ayuk exactly and and to your point about ac town surprisingly um you know even though they are not at great success college football wise they they seem to have some good talent going to the nfl lately you know nickel had made it last year even though he was injured i expect good things out of him this year as well so they have had decent receivers and running back uh, you know talent going into the nfl lately let's see how this guy turns out but apparently he has huge uh, uh you know uh, arms and basically they expect him to jump over everybody and catch a lot of balls wingspan so that's it yeah <laughs> in fact there were a couple of games and they these either may have been consecutive games or you know two out of three games where it felt like you know that and I'm again drawing a blank on the QB's name the AC quarterback's name but he had like 200 total yards throwing and this guy had like 170 receiving yards so <laughs> yeah it felt like you know it felt a little bit like a man among boys and so it's good to see him i think we'll get to see him a lot more uh, playing for the niners yes yes they have a very young uh, core so they wouldn't be like the receiver core is very young they wouldn't be scared to throw him out there anyway and yeah, i think yeah. um the other interesting one was the first running back was the last pick and he was just shot guy but he was incredibly talented both as a runner and uh, pass catcher the Kansas City flat and they're saying uh, you'd be uh, you know a typical anti Andy Reid guy so i'm also excited to see what he does in the NFL apparently he's only 57 uh, but uh, they say he may be like a Brian Westbrook uh, clone uh, speaking of uh, ex Andy Reid uh, running back Yeah so on that one right i mean again how how do you fault or dispute what the uh, super bowl winning coach and the team has done 
but yeah. I wonder, don't they already have Darwin Thompson doing that? And in fact, the Chiefs and Andy Reid seem to have like eight running backs who <laughs> no one else has heard of who keep emerging from the woodwork anytime their primary ball carrier gets injured. Well, but I let's talk about that, right? I think um, Rashawn McCoy Shady is gone, right? Yeah, he's gone. Right. So they have the uh, starter who is Damian Williams, I guess. Yes. And then the guy you're talking about, I had so much uh, expectation for him last year. Uh, maybe they don't like him. He didn't get that many opportunities. I think so. Right? No, you, you're he's right. He's a speed guy and all that. But just to finish my thought on this, I, the thing that I think sets this guy apart, Ravi, is he's not one-dimensional. The, the only dimension that's a little scary is his height. But uh, apparently he can run. Uh, he, can, he can be a power back as well as uh, uh, catch balls and yeah. you know, do it all, basically. I know. And that makes total sense. And see, there are two other caveats here, both of which obviously make, make this pick uh, a lot more uh, logical. One is in the modern NFL, the role of an NF, uh, the role of a running back, you have to look at it as a year-over-year deal or at, at max a two-year uh, you know, life, life, lifetime uh, or life cycle. And given that, you have to find someone that is going to do, as you said, everything that a running back typically does uh, and is young and cheap. So why would you keep like, you know, an old, brittle LeSean McCoy or an untested slash disliked Darwin Thompson might as well pull the trigger on a, on a, you know, on a high level prospect. Right. Uh, so, so, so that is one thing. The second thing is the one outlier to all of this is the fact that there are two teams, right? The Chiefs and the Niners who probably utilize their running backs better than anyone else. So I'm sure that, uh, you know, he need not even be a prototypical grinder in order to succeed in a team which is as offensively potent as uh, uh, the yeah. Chiefs. So, so that will be exciting to see. I'm glad they picked an offensive player. I mean, uh, because yeah. it would have been boring for the Chiefs to pick someone on defense. Right. And I think you and I were talking about this offline yesterday that when you have a quarterback, and this is obviously true for Kansas City and to a lesser extent for the Cardinals, right? Because we all like Kyler Murray's uh, future. It seems like there's so much weight lifted off uh, your shoulders that it pretty much draft and things like that open up. You can go in multiple directions and you can even fail, right? As yeah. uh, bad as it is to say that, you can actually afford to fail because Mahomes is going to plug a bunch of your holes. It's not like Clyde Edwards, Hillary is a bust. Mahomes is done. No, you probably will win a Super Bowl anyways next year. That's and right. If this is good, if this guy is good, then it, it just makes Mahomes and the whole offense that much more potent. And I'm really hoping to see what this guy can do. Like you said, Darwin Thompson is still there. Maybe he will just become a speedster. Uh, and Damian Williams and this guy will carry the load. Right, exactly. And and my last thought on the uh, draft, Ravi, and this I saved this for the last because this is the most shocking and important uh, uh, part of the draft for me, at least, was the Packers drafting, trading up, I should say, and drafting Jordan Love, the quarterback. Um, there are reports now that apparently uh, Aaron Rodgers is really pissed at this. I don't know how true it is. Uh, or if he had even come out openly with it. 
But I don't blame him. I mean, the guy is uh, pushing, you know, he's in his late 30s. And they made a pick which is going to do absolutely nothing for them for at least two years, right? Uh, unless Aaron Rodgers is hurt, this is a completely useless pick. And I, I never understand teams picking quarterbacks two, three years ahead of time unless they are so much in love with this guy. Uh, yeah. Because if he is good to average, you can't find somebody like him, I would guess, in next year's draft or the year after, right? Now, there have been some reports that this is what the Packers did when they picked Aaron Rodgers himself, uh, when uh, Brett Paul was still uh, doing well. But that, to me, is completely different for a couple yeah. of reasons, right? Aaron Rodgers was at almost a, a consensus number one pick. He just yes. lost out to Alex Smith, right? And then he slipped and slipped and slipped. And then he was there when when the Packers picked at whatever, right? I don't know, 20s or 18 or whatever. And they picked him when he was, a, he was almost an overall number one pick type talent. This situation is completely different. This guy was barely a first round quarterback, according to uh, all the projections. And they trade up and go get him. It made no sense to me. How, how did you uh, consume that that part of the draft? Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you, Arvind, and just wanted to, uh, I mean, add one more, uh, you know, specific what if, which would have made sense to me, which is, if instead of this guy Jordan Love, if we are talking about Tua falling to the last exactly. part of the first round, and if the Packers were to trade up and pick him up. I would be okay with it because that to me would be an apples to apples comparison with what happened uh, when uh, Aaron Rodgers was drafted. Exactly. Uh, whereas in this case, uh, because you're at least you, what you're doing is you're drafting for sheer talent and eventually the QB position is one that you will need to bolster as the number one priority. So why do you want to kind of let one season, uh, uh, you know, tank in order to get a number one or the top five pick? You now have a top five level talent as your number 26 pick. But in this case, we are talking, as you said, about a fringe level talent whose primary weakness, according to at least reports, is uh, accuracy and decision making. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you combine, again, and that's my other baffling point here, which is, um, those are probably the two strongest uh, parts of Aaron Rodgers' game, right? So if you are saying that you need to draft this guy because your incumbent is uh, Jameis Winston, I can see that. But in this case, neither of these two you know, ends make, make, make any sense. You're not getting a top-level talent with, who, which, which makes him draftable even though you have Aaron Rodgers. And it doesn't make sense that you're getting someone who frankly has weaknesses in the exact same area where Aaron Rodgers is probably the best of all time, if, if not arguably top five. Yeah, or for that matter, even uh, Tua, right? Tua is support. Those are supposed to be Tua's strength as well. Exactly. Uh, but your Tua example is just perfect, right? If he had slipped, I don't think I'll be complaining or anybody will be complaining that the Packers picked them. You'll all be saying, oh man, they are set for another 20 years, right? That's right. They went from Paul to Aaron Rodgers to Tua, that would have been great, but that's not the scenario here. They're just so so essentially the bar for this guy, Ravi, to make that point is essentially he has to be as good as Aaron Rodgers 
are at least Tua, assuming Tua is healthy, that something is he's going to be really good. So he has to be pretty much as good as Aaron Rodgers to even justify this move. So I, I didn't get it. And my point for these GMs is, I guess you can find the Jordan Love every year. Yeah. Uh, and the only counter can be they were just so much in love with him. Anyway, I guess time will tell. That's right. That's right. But th- that was that was quite head scratching. Yes, exactly. Cool. And um, uh, now on to the other uh, bit of uh, Fox or FAUX, fake uh, sports or whatever we had was the Last Dance uh, uh, documentary where we, which really captivated the country on Sunday. Part of it was, again, we are all quarantined and we don't have a lot to see. But then again, uh, if it involves Michael Jordan, we are going to be excited and watch it anyways. So I'm sure they got a bump because of the quarantine, but this was an extremely uh, hyped and awaited documentary even before the lockdown and all of that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. They had uh, two episodes and there's two more coming every Sunday until they hit 10. And, uh, you know, it was, I thought it was really well done, having all those uh, first-hand commentary from Michael. I think that's what sets this apart in the sense, typically we have not heard a lot from Mike. Um, so here he's kind of narrating in some ways the whole uh, uh, documentary, and that's going to be fascinating. And, of course, uh, my favorite part really was uh, the background on Scotty Pippen in episode two which was really kind of moving. And some of that I did not know. Uh, maybe you knew it already, Ravi, but I thought it was really fascinating to see Scotty's story in this. Well, what were your uh, uh, big takeaways from the first week of Last Dance? Did you like it? Loved it. Loved it. It was goosebump inducing within the first 10 minutes. Uh, and I must admit, again, not having too much of a background to... Uh, the series prior to maybe a couple of days before it aired, I assumed until then that it was basically uh, a series that chronicled uh, Jordan's career. And as such, yeah, I would have watched it, but I assumed it was another one of those, you know, let's glorify the best player that ever lived and show his highlights and have people talk about him. Instead, what you get is an absolute masterpiece of inside uh, uh, insights uh, into a very troubled season of the Bulls, you know, of those Bulls uh, uh, years. And that has been fascinating. I mean, it, it is, it, it felt, even in the first two episodes, uh, no less riveting than, and you and I can probably relate to it, than an Indian masala movie, right? It had everything. It had yeah. the bromance. It had the feeling of mutual, like, you know, love and admiration for players, between players, between coach and player. And then, obviously, there was a very black villain, I mean, black and white villain in this case. Uh, there was no gray area, at least in terms of the players and Phil Jackson in regards to who and what Jerry Krause represented. Uh, he yeah. was just evil. So to me, that was the best, one of the two things that really stood out to me. And the second one was in agreement with you. I think the Scotty Pippen second episode focus was uh, uh, was quite uh, touching, you know, in terms of his backstory. And even, even his his kind of timeline with, uh, with with regards to what he had to experience, right? Not knowing enough 
and going ahead and signing a long term deal primarily to uh, tend to his financial needs to his family's financial right. needs right. and ultimately that becoming the biggest noose around his neck affecting him to a point where he started being counterproductive to his own team so in a way he was kind of jeopardizing his team uh, towards the latter part and jordan himself said it uh, calling himself fisher to me it was quite fascinating to see the ups and downs and how that related as you and i connected on it how that related to my own impressions of scotty initially i was nothing but oh my god how sad this is to later on like really he did this he abused jerry kraus on a bus uh did he really like intentionally delay his surgery i mean those were not cool things to do so anyway all in all fantastic yeah. view- viewing exactly i think uh you explained it well you know he scotty basically just like all of us right um uh, had it was a flawed character in some sense in that episode too while we all related to his uh situation in terms of the salary and all of that and sympathized with his background at the same time he, him getting a surgery late and kind of not showing up for work in in some ways um that would have been just a massive news in today's uh, social media driven nba right uh, yeah yeah i think it was a big news even back then but he kind of got away lightly compared to what it would have been today but you know as far as the contract itself goes really, it's fascinating how much the business of nba just exploded It's almost like the perfect timing for the Bulls and the worst timing for Scotty, right? I think he signs it just before the '92 the Dream Team Olympics. Yeah. And then God knows when the TV contracts were renewed and all of that. So it's a completely different economic landscape between '91 and '98. And '98 they showed us, uh, you know, Jordan's salary and Pippen's salary. It's like Jordan is making like. 80% more than the entirety of Pippen's 7-year contract. That's right. And Jordan's making that in like one year, right? 33 million or 36. I don't I don't remember the exact number. And this guy is signed for like 7 years, 18 or something like that. So fascinating. And uh, apparently the next two episodes are going to be the next one is going to be about Rodman, which is going to be a circus. Yeah. Uh, I I I think you will all enjoy watching that and then the fourth one supposedly is going to even touch a little bit on uh, Steve Kerr's role who I'm sure uh, Ravi I, I wanted to uh, mention this too I think his profile in this documentary was probably bumped up thanks to all his success lately as the Warriors head coach because he's even in the cover you know picture for the show and all of that i don't think he was that big a presence so yeah yeah <laughs> no you you and you really hit the nail on its head i was thinking about the fact that there are probably not that many people i mean obviously there're going to be millions of people but i'm saying just as a percentage of the overall basketball viewing public there aren't going to be that many people who can bridge curse uh you know basketball life right. in a way that we have been able to right watching him as an adversary uh you know uh playing for the bulls and then the spurs versus versus the suns and then now seeing him coach the local team and i must say that the revisionist history on his value and his uh, presence on the bulls seems to have gotten a whole amount of uh, air and uh, weight since yeah. the time he started winning with the warriors as a coach True. Um, to be fair to him ravi uh, he did hit that shot right in one of the games but did he hit any other shot that one can remember 
that may be the only one i don't remember uh but i think he played a decent role i think the shot which has kept them in the limelight before the old warriors run and more importantly his fight with jordan i don't know which year that happened i don't know if they will cover that in this uh, documentary uh, remember he had a he was punched by jordan in fact yeah 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 so i think those two as kind of kept him in the limelight but i'm sure his recent run as, as a championship coach obviously elevates his uh, presence a whole lot plus it's also a ratings play right if you are the documentary maker you want people who will get more eyeballs on your show on the show and curry fits that perfectly because he's relevant he's in a championship caliber coach he's coaching these warriors we are extremely popular and extremely disliked at the same time so it makes perfect sense to like you said do a little bit of revisionist history and put him on the map a little bit more but he's a good guy though i i i want to Uh, give me more steel car right that's always been my take uh, yeah but, yeah but but you know speaking of uh, car and relating uh, him to the previous topic we spoke of did you happen to catch his interview on the jump uh, was it yesterday or day before where he actually kind of uh, disagreed with jordan with jordan's point that scott that pippen was selfish by delaying his surgery he felt that scotty did the absolute right thing and the fact that there was any kind of resentment within the team about his timing he says that did not exist everyone kind right. of super, super respected pippen i did see that interview ravi i should go and catch up uh actually i didn't even know it was on the jump but thanks for the tip the way i read it i read about it though a little bit okay Uh, browse some articles i felt like both of them could be right I mean, yeah yeah team, right yeah the team might have completely related to scotty and respected him and even sympathized with him just like you and i did right 5 minutes back but jordan is such a competitor he might have still thought that's all well and good but you are not helping us win this right now right so he might have still thought it was selfish that's you know that's jordan for you i thought right you know that's right that's right that was my reaction to that but i will definitely catch up on that um any final thoughts on the last dance before we uh, yeah so you know speaking of the forthcoming episode i hope they devote uh, one whole episode on pippen and jordan's feelings towards uh, ku coach because that was the other thing that seemed to be right. you know uh, in the simmering news of the day uh, where it 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 was kind of said that uh, they both obviously weren't too happy with ku coach i'm being... sure that's coming really i'm sure yeah. that i mean i'm also looking forward to it you know speaking of revisionist history uh, i thought he was always underrated yeah i think so too he was underrated in the original history is even more underrated in the revisionist history <laughs> i even while watching this live right i think you and i are old enough to have caught this live i don't remember a lot of details uh of especially the regular season right i i do remember the playoffs and the finals which obviously we all just devoured right we just consumed it like i think that was the highest rated finals or something like that the 98 one if i'm right uh i always start cook coach 
was the most underrated uh, player and the funny part Ravi I don't know if you remember Phil Jackson used to yell at him all the time because yeah. he was the only one he could yell at <laughs> so on that he was immensely talented I'm not even convinced actually while on the topic uh, Ravi I would like to get your input on this I always thought he was the third impo- most important player on the team uh would you agree or do you think that's wrong well see that's debatable but to me i thought in terms of uh, you know uh, using a fantasy football term value over replacement player i think rodman was more difficult to replace because he brought so many intangibles that literally you could not find in you know any other player on the team or in the in the league i think kukoc uh, was uh, you know the third third of the three pronged i guess offensive uh, mm. uh, you know set for the bulls but Uh, yeah, I would say arguably Rodman. True. I think you make a good point. Actually, you might have even convinced me. Yeah. Basically, as a defensive guy, I think that was probably Kukoc's weak point as well. Yeah. So, Rodman is obviously he was a lot more valuable, especially when he was defending Malone and things like that. He, uh, there's no way they could have done that without him. But offensively, it's, it's definitely Kukoc was the third most important player. And probably the second most on certain nights, uh, depending on how Scotty was going. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah, can't wait for uh, episode three and four. You know, uh, the one other, the one other yeah. thing, uh, Arvind, just really quickly, that uh, really appealed to me was, I know this was pre-Twitter and pre-Facebook uh, and as such, there, you know, organizations could or teams could uh, mask uh, yeah, gossip as, you know, um, to a much larger extent than anyone can today. But still, I thought it was quite... Uh, fascinating and showed the chemistry and the structure and the professionalism of the team that some of the things that came out even in the first two episodes were revealing to a lot of people even today uh, yeah. like in the sense there were things there that uh, we uh, that at least i had no idea about which speaks well to the point that whether it is kerr in his 1 million public interview sins or jordan or pippen or anyone didn't blurt it out already that scenario is unlikely to occur unless the team is so well knit that they realize that whatever uh, you know happens happens within the locker room doesn't go out true exactly and the fact that they didn't have podcasts <laughs> that's true that's too true, right like for instance Draymond Green has been talking a lot the last couple yeah. of years some fascinating content there but at the same time he's uh, revealing a lot of stuff too um that's a topic for another day uh really that he has been all over the place the last couple of days Anyways, um, the next topic I wanted to touch on is uh, the Gronk trade to uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, that's got a lot of news as well. Earlier in the week, before the draft, uh, looks like Brady got his man there. Uh, I'm not sure how much it's going to work out just because of Gronk's help. Um, I also thought they, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks offense is pretty loaded, actually. Uh, at least at skill positions, right? They have two titans already in O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray. So I was not, I'm not really convinced this is a great move, uh, other than the fact that there's great chemistry and trust between Gronk and Brady. Um, I would have, you know, just rolled with O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray, but, you know, Brady probably thinks he can do whatever he wants with the right set of people around him. You know, these guys have that kind of confidence in their talent and what they can do, right? And Grant is somebody he trusts and he got him in. 
what what did you think of that move and what uh, do you think uh, that bumps up their uh, Tampa Bay's uh, Super Bowl chances that much higher you know i think it, it definitely does um, and i have two reasons to think that way one is i think brady's chemistry with uh, gronk uh, the one thing that's emerged since the time brady decided to leave the patriots is this talk and this narrative around how uh, some a few times in the last couple of years he wasn't getting the organization's ear uh, to a key point that makes him successful which is that he has to feel comfortable with the pass catcher he does not trust everyone and he doesn't trust his wide receivers or pass catchers easily uh, yeah. so he needs to have that you know trust factor built in uh, with whether it is a mike evans or uh, a chris godwin so think about in contrast someone that is red in you know that has absolutely no uh, qualms in that regard if you can name one uh, or you know the top 3 brady pass catchers of all time i know edelman will be somewhere there but you yeah. can't deny gronk in that list as well so that's one thing where you get a ready made uh, chemistry builder with brady and the second thing is also again going back to my earlier comment around value over replaceable player uh, that tampa bay buccaneers uh, were so uh, dispirited and pissed off at oj howard that they were using cameron braid uh, you know over him and cameron braid you know god bless him he caught a bunch of two yard touchdowns for a bunch of us fantasy football players Uh, but you know he's a serviceable uh, tight end uh, gronk even on one leg uh, probably is twice as good as him uh, okay so so that's what i feel that's what that's where i stand on this uh, in regards to what this does to tampa bay well you are a lot more bullish than me on this uh, trade for the bucks okay. that's that's uh, we'll, we'll we'll track it as we go along my concern is the guy is uh, Uh, you know has been injury prone uh, now the other thing i guess uh, uh, you didn't mention that we could say in favor of grant is also he's a fantastic blocker too so i see all of that but at the same time a part of me feels like uh, you know they could have just rolled with the titans they had but then again i guess you could argue they didn't give up much with the fourth uh, i think they traded a fourth rounder right that's right so that's, that's right. not too bad so let's see how it goes but um, i think the my personal take is it's going to help but not as much as the names involved suggest because uh, you know grant is uh, not what we assume is going to be i think from few years back anyways uh with that oh i forgot to ask you we, we always start off the show with uh, when do we think sports will come back we've been doing that for a couple of episodes and unfortunately it's been slipping right our projections have been moving back uh every time uh what do you think now i i think we should just talk about uh nba and uh, baseball uh i'm my personal take is uh maybe uh, i think the last time I started with mid June for NBA and then I made it mid July. Now I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't come back at all this year. Uh but it's not coming back before mid July I don't think. Baseball I right now I think uh, uh mid July. Where do you stand on those? Yeah, in this finally after two unsuccessful unsuccessful attempts I'm finally completely in line with you uh, Arvind. I think those are exactly the timelines i was also thinking of um uh, for when you know i think basketball and baseball return 
the one obviously with that uh, it would be super interesting to see how they get structured and formatted within a shortest time frame right uh, but that's essentially when i'm also thinking uh, either of those two sports come back cool with that i think uh, we have covered everything we wanted to ravi uh, anything else on your mind no other than one last parting shot on uh, or parting thought not shot on tony kukoc it's very interesting you brought him up i did not know that uh, this past cycle was the seventh time he was eligible for a hall of fame nomination a huh. hall of fame and did not get in to oh. me that's like blasphemous because i'm talking about you know again you take the fact that he won all those championships but even if you isolate that from the fact that he is what arguably one of the top 3 or 4 european players that have ever played the game i almost think that some of that uh, uh, the uh, you know that that ill feeling that uh, the nba collective had against him during those years has kind of slipped into some of you know the 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 thoughts on whether it makes him an a hall of famer or not to me compared to some of the players that have made it he should be in definitely agree with you i think especially basketball of him it's not that hard to get yeah frankly agree cool with that uh, let's hope to uh, have another show in about a week or so uh, stay safe ravi and stay safe uh, listeners as well uh, we will talk to you again soon we'll do that thank you so much uh, thanks arvin hey!